only one I have. So I want to make sure it's it's safe. Okay. Cool. Okay. So Alex, welcome. I'm really glad to to meet you. Um, we have a mutual friend. Uh, he goes by Dan Goldfield. Yes. Yes, uh, he does. And I call him Danny because I've been <laughs> for since he was much younger. <laughs> uh, it's funny. I've, so, I've never I've never heard of him as the name of Danny. I've never known him as that name. So that's funny. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's, he's become a very great friend of mine as well. So. Well, this is actually the whole point of the Dhamma. When um, an example of that is, is that music students don't learn to play a musical instrument all by themselves. That trumpet players, when they're learning to play trumpet, they need two things. They need a teacher to teach them trumpet, and they also need other trumpet players to play with, mm. to experiment with, mm. to challenge each other. Like, mm. for instance, who can hold the longest note or who can play the highest note and, mm. and things like this, or who can play this particular passage or who can memorize the, the, uh, the band's piece of music. First, who's who's the one that can take that little piece of paper off of his music stand and play that piece without the music? That's part of the competition. You've probably been familiar with that if you've been into it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. if you have that trumpet sitting under your bed all by yourself. And you only played it when you thought about playing it and you had no band and you had no teacher and you had no references at all. The likelihood of you becoming a star musician is very low. Yeah, unless unless YouTube, a lot of people use YouTube these days and they get really good. But that is actually using something, something else. We're using else. YouTube right now or we're using yeah. uh, uh, Skype in this case. So yeah. that's the same thing. Yeah, right. Uh, that playing along with others uh and uh getting the mind basically what we're talking about is is that normally the way that the mind works is kind of scattered mm. that uh sigmund freud called it free association which meant that this thought can go anywhere it's free to go anywhere and then when it gets to that it's free to move again and sometimes we get stuck in cycles, but they're not the same cycles, and sometimes they're just all over the place. Okay, we can think about one kind of uh, one guy that we have to write one email to, and we may come up with 30 different versions of that email in our mind before we ever write it. So this is the kind of thing about the diversity that we're talking about. Okay, and in music, we can think of that kind of diversity with all kinds of frequencies and all kinds of rhythms is nothing but noise. Background noise, static or uh, uh, ambient. OK, and so we're we're kind of caught in a flood. And that uh, that flood that we're talking about of just noise from all different directions inside the mind, outside the mind, the visual, everything like that. Uh, has no pattern to it. And uh, what we're going to cultivate is making patterns in the mind, 
to repeat things over and over and over again. One example of that is chanting. Another example of that is uh, learning a poem or learning the Dhamma by uh, examining the Dhamma or learning one's mind by continuing to do that over and over and over again. There's a major important point about repetition and that that repetition does happen when the band director will stop them, talk to them, and then do it again. Stop them, talk to them, do it again, over and over and over and over and over. We call this rehearsal in music. We also, when uh, we can call it either rehearsal or practice, and this is exactly what we're doing in meditation, is that we're doing this thing over and over and over again. Some people think that, oh, I, when I'm going over and over and over again, basically I'm going down and down and down and down and down deeper into meditation. And this is Western mentality. That's not the right, correct way to do it, to, to think about it. Basically, the way, if, if this is the direction we're going, then the right way to do is to practice this and get really good at it. And then come and practice a little bit more difficult piece and get really good at it over and over and over and over again. And then get to the next piece and you practice that and you do it over and over and over and over again. And this is exactly how music works. And it's exactly how Anapanasati works. That there is simple things and then more difficult things that we learn to do. And a really clear example of that is, is that we can use the mind to control the breath. But by using the mind to control the breath, we're actually controlling the mind. And if we are controlling the mind with the thoughts and the stuff, then the mind can actually influence the feelings so that we can begin to influence the way that we feel. Can you say that one more time? All right. As we are practicing one thing, we get very good at that. And then we go to the next level and practice that and get very good at that. And this is where we build skills is because we do it over and over and over again. And then we go to the next more difficult piece of music, say, and we practice that over and over and over and over again until we get very skilled at that. Okay. So within Anapanasati, we have that same kind of process. In fact, there's a four-step process in there. And what is Anapanasati? Anapanasati means... Anapana is the word for breathing, in and out breathing. It's exactly the same word in, in uh, the Sanskrit with the words backwards of pranayana. You can hear the yana and the pan, they're, they're backwards. One is in and out and the other one is out and in. But both of them have as much, uh, let us say, um, emphasis on the out breath as on the in breath. But that both of them have to be mindful conscious long breath making sure that it's a long deep in breath and long deep out breath so that if you practice that over and over and over it develops the skill of watching the breath so the breath becomes uh, the major focus or the major anchor for the beginning of practice as well as in order to do that we have to keep remembering to do that. And uh, we have to, when we're not doing it, remember that we were doing it and we're going to do it again. And I practice so, this. 
This is sati. The word sati is to remember to do something which is different than a memory of just old past events. Okay, that's a big distinction because we're not interested in old past events. We're interested in remembering to be here now. And the first here now is to be here now with the breath. The second to be here now is the waking up and inspecting and investigating of what the mind is doing while we're intentionally breathing in and breathing out. So we keep that mindfulness going. Okay. And that investigation then is to investigate what kind of thinking that we're doing. A lot of people in meditation think the goal is to have no mind or to stop the mind. Right. And that, in fact, we can see how uh, words like void mind get mistranslated. That basically, we're, uh, let us put it this way. If you have a mind that is void or completely empty and having no thoughts, how are you going to survive? You can't you can't go to the bank because you can't even think about the bank. You can't eat because you can't even think about it. You can't breathe because you're not thinking about breathing. Where is this no mind thing going? <laughs> yeah, it's it seems like a uh, a far fetched fantasy. It is. That's what I understood, at least. Yeah. <clears throat> and this is part of the reason why there are so many failures at it and people give up. Yeah. That is, uh, have you ever heard of the Aesop fable of the, the fox and the grapes? I don't know. That the grapes were just a bit too high for the fox. He couldn't quite reach up. He tried on his hind legs. He could touch the grapes with his paws, but he couldn't grasp them with his mouth. So that means then that our uh, reach extends our grasp. Just because we can reach something, we think we've got it, we're in fact, no, we have to get it this way. And mm. because of that issue with uh, uh, the fox and the grapes, the fox goes away saying the grapes must have been sour because he couldn't reach them. He couldn't grasp, <laughs> could reach them, but he couldn't grasp them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is yeah. the quality of what we mean, the expression of sour grapes. The sour grapes means that I couldn't get what I want, so I go away disappointed, but I blame the object of my desire for the failure. The grapes must have been sour. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. All right. So many people practice meditation that way also. That they're given goal they give themselves goals from things that they've heard about. They can't obtain those goals within a, a, let us think for them, a reasonable period of time. And so they give up in frustration. Yeah, hard, impossible, unrealistic standards. Mm -hmm. Well, standard is the problem. Precisely, which we will get into <laughs> in great depth in the next few days. Okay. All right. So um, these standards that people set for themselves that they don't reach, then they feel like victims again, but they want to be a victim of the bad meditation. Now, during the process and the moment by moment, when people will wake up to see that the mind has wandered away from the breath, the thing that the teachers will say is, never mind, start again, come back and let's do it again. 
Dan says it to oh, me all the time. <laughs> never mind, start again. That phrase is uh, something that Goenka is famous for. That's what students do. Wake up and start again. But most of us wake up only to the point of reaching and not grasping. So there's two forms of sati. One is the reaching and the other one is the grasping form of sati. To grab the object, to seize the object, to seize the breath, not just to touch it the way that many meditations uh, teach. They say, don't control the breath. If you don't control the breath, you're not controlling anything at all. No, you've got to control your breath to, to come out of that victimhood of being victim of the breath. You've got to boss it around a bit. You've got to take a deep breath and know that this is a deep in breath and take an out breath, a relaxing, happy out breath, knowing that you're taking a long, deep out breath. So mm -hmm. as we do that, we begin to investigate what the mind is doing because the mind will just wander away anyway. But if we don't have that, like the fox, if the fox was dedicated to getting those grapes, he'd have stayed with the grapes. He would have kept chopping and kept chopping until he got the grapes. But no, he quit. He walked off. The mind does that too. It What's the point of watching the breath and the mind walks off into the noise of all over the place? But while we are actually practicing the breathing and watching the breath, we also want to start putting the thoughts in a rhythmic state, having rhythmic thoughts, have rhyming thoughts if you can. But it's the same thing over and over and over again. And this stuff that we're talking about is we can talk about it in the sense of a mantra, but the Buddha uses the phrase wholesome thought to have wholesome thoughts. And one of the things that monks do is they learn the Pali so that they can do the chanting because that chanting of that sutta over and over and over and over again, even long ones are good to have long passages that you just repeat over and over and over again, because by doing so that puts the mind into a rhythmic process, just like music does. But in fact, I really enjoy having students who have, uh, who have practiced music in their past because they've got that kind of skill already started, that skill of repeating the notes. That in fact, in music, you know that everything about music is repetition. In other words, we only have 12 notes. We don't play just any old frequency that when things are out of tune, we don't like the sound of it. We like, you know what a piano sounds like when... Uh, a piano uh, for the mid-range has three strings. The very, very bass only has one, and then they go to two, but eventually all the notes have three strings. If those three strings are not in tune with each other, that's what makes the piano sound out of tune. It's not necessarily the A and the G are, are out of tune with each other, but it's the A itself is out of tune, and you can hear that dissonance in there. So what we're talking about is getting things in tune and using only 12 notes. And then we repeat them over and over and over again. And I've just defined music is taking random noise and putting it into a set of frequencies based upon uh, basically the overtone series. You know all about the overtone. So, so you have a pedal note, and then you have your bass note, and then you have uh, the half, which is going to be from a C to a G. I just want to say it's been a long time since I practiced the trumpet. 
However, I am very familiar with what you mean by repetition and the repetition of a skill or repetition of a sequence, uh, practice, any kind of repetition, I think. I mean, I'm in sales and repetition of that same call, that same process over and over and over and over again gives you a natural feeling of success because you already have evidence that it works and you do it over. It's reliable and... I mean, when I was on swim team, um, when I first started, my arms were like burning and it was so hard to swim. But three months into being on swim team for the first time on sophomore year, it was night and day. I could do 800 yards and it felt like only swimming a lap because my arms were so used to the endurance. And by that time, it was just natural. It's just like walking down the street. I didn't have to think about it. I didn't have to try it. I didn't have to convince myself to do it. It just was happening because it was so repetitive. There is an old Zen story about a monk who was, um, um, well, let us say that in Japan, they highly mix martial arts and and Buddhism. I remember, I remember hearing about that. Yeah. Partly because of this repetitive point with archery and whatnot that you have to keep practicing exactly the movements over and over and over again to, so they become automatic and so the zen archer is not interested in where the arrow goes that's up to the arrow his job is to launch it correctly mm. okay yeah and so the story is uh, back to the swimming that uh the master <clears throat> gives this he wasn't particularly bright and everybody could see that And so he says, okay, this is what your job is going to do. You have to go get water out of the water trough and put it into this basin. And when that basin gets empty, you go get some more water and you fill it back up. But until that, while you are not filling the basin up because it's already got water in it, your job is to slap the water. Slap, 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 slap. Slap that water and it keeps slapping out. Can you slap it all out of the pole? And when it gets empty, then you go put some more water in. And this was the only exercise that this young boy was given. Hmm. He goes home to his daddy a few months later. And daddy asked him while they're eating uh, supper, what did you do at the temple? And the young man says, well, I slap water. And his dad started to laugh at him and says, you stupid dunce, why don't you do something that's worthwhile? And that teacher is so stupid to give you that job. And the young man got angry. He stood up and he slapped the table. <laughs> he his dad off and he broke the table <laughs> and his dad understood. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> okay, well, that's exactly how we're going to train the mind is we're going to keep slapping the water and slapping the water and slapping the water and slapping the water until we get those muscles built up, the muscle of sati. The muscle of petition is to remember. Remember. Mm -hmm. To remember to be here now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is great, I mean, because this is literally what I've been practicing uh, every day for uh, probably the past five, six months. And it's just gotten more and more gradually um, uh, 
frequent in my experience. It's gotten gradually more frequent the times where I will actually remember to be here now. Exactly so. And when we remember to be here now, the kinds of thoughts that we have are going to be about the thoughts of the here now. If you're going to be here now, you're going to be here with your mind. So at this being here with your mind, back in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s before television came in, the sports were done on radio. How can you do a baseball game or a boxing match on the radio? You do it because the announcer is watching blow by blow and giving a blow by blow description of what's happening in the moment. Okay, this is the the Mahasi noting method is giving yourself a blow by blow description of what you're watching and what you're noting. So take the technique that the Buddha uh, uses says, yes, that's absolutely the right thing to do when the mind is fit for it. That we've got to get the mind fit for work before we put it to work. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And so the this training, in, in fact, going back to the swimming, you had to train three months because you weren't fit for it. But after you trained and trained and trained, you became fit for it. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. And now when you're taking a stroke, those strokes mean something. Mm-hmm. They're done with wisdom. They're done with precision. Yeah. And uh, when the when the arms hurt, you're not swimming very fast. Yeah. Right. right. But when you're up to it, you can keep up. You can go. Yeah. All right. So this is actually what we're, we're what we're looking for in the mind then. And that in this regard, having thoughts about what's happening in the present moment are not thoughts of the past. Thoughts of undone business, thoughts about old regrets, thoughts about problems that need to be solved. In this present moment, we don't have any problems because we're in the present moment. All problems have to do with past and the future. I agree. But but this present moment is just fine. Yeah. And so we deal with fear by recognizing in this room right now, there's nothing to be afraid of. Why should I think about email and then become afraid? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Why should I think about an email or a comment on Reddit and then become angry? Hmm. Okay, that's the point. Can I ask you a question? Sure. So, what originally brought me to being interested in the Dhamma was I would say misery was suffering. I was There's so no other reason. <laughs> That's yeah. the only reason people come. Yeah, I was so miserable that I was continually coming to the same disappointment every three or four years in not being able to develop myself enough to be this imaginary person that I wanted to be. And every four, three or four years, I would come to the same realization that, oh, man, I thought this was it. I thought this career was it. I thought this girlfriend was it. And I'm still dissatisfied. What the hell is going on? And in that particular... Yeah. And in that (laughs) particular day, 
I was like, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm not going back there. And I looked up online how to end my suffering. I literally looked that up word for word. And I never even had thought about suffering. I just like looked it up. And I found, um, are you familiar with Quora? It's like Facebook, but it's for questions. And like there's researchers on there and people, have, you know, experts in those topics. And yeah, you might, you might like it actually. It's good to check out. So anyway, I found this guy named Artem on Quora. And he um, basically shared his whole experience of the spiritual path, that he was authentically enlightened and all this stuff. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What does this mean? I, you know, I've never heard of this before, but I started looking at some of his questions and his answers, and I was actually pretty surprised. It, it seemed very genuine, and it, it, it resonated with me. So I decided to ask him if he could talk on the phone. We talked that night for an hour and a half long. This was before I knew anything about the spiritual path. But the first thing that he told me as something to get me started was to notice my feelings specifically, the emotions and feelings in my experience and begin to accept them the way they are. And at first, when he told me this, I got to tell you, I was like, I was blown out of the water. I had no idea what he was talking about. I don't even know what it really meant to accept my feelings. So pretty much after that call, I just was, I got nuts about it. I was like, okay, am I accepting my, like, how do I know? What does it look like to accept my feelings? Oh my God, I'm angry now. What does angry feel? Like I just started to welcome and feel these feelings more and more and more. And it went through this process of like wallowing in them. And then I realized at some point, Dan had told me, he's like, remember, the goal is not to feel as much pain as we possibly can. The goal is to feel and allow the experience, but eventually let go of the pain. And what I hear in what you're saying, when you say, oh, I'm not going to listen to an email and then just get afraid, or I'm not going to think about that interaction I have with my friend at work and then get angry. I'm going to no, I'm going to be here now in this present moment because this present moment is great in, in, in all of its, in, in all of its disaster, its beauty, everything, whatever in this present, it's actually just great the way it is. Literally the experience in itself is mm -hmm. fine as it is. There's really nothing inherently wrong with it. And I've started to experience that as well. So okay. what I've started to kind of do is like make bridge the gap from you know, kind of like being in my feelings to seeing them while they're happening to seeing them before they happen and then to seeing. That's where we're going to start our practices, seeing them before they happen. Yeah. And then to seeing before, before they happen, <laughs> you know, like what you said, that's, like that's, that's yeah. too much. Okay. Okay. That's, okay, that's, okay. that's going too far. Okay. Um, Let's so, but, but, but what I wanted to on. ask you, wait, I wanted to ask you something. No. This... Can you hang on to that question and let me respond to what you've already said? Okay. Just okay. now. Okay. It, it, is, it, it is about what I said, though. Okay. So I, hang on I, to that question and we'll, right. you okay. might just, we might answer it before. All okay. right. Um, what you're discussing here is typical Western Buddhism. What you're discussing here, accepting your feelings, is the Mahasi method. That's the, also the noting method. 
That's not what the Buddha taught. The Buddha taught to inspect the, the in this particular moment, what thoughts are there that give rise to feelings, that there is a major connection that we need to see that's actually one of the steps of Anapanasati, and that is to see uh, <clears throat> the conditioners. In other words, the feelings condition the thought, the thought conditions the feeling, feelings condition the body, the body conditions the feelings, the body conditions the thoughts. <clears throat> In other words, if uh, somebody is shaking your hand with a too firm uh, handshake, your thoughts immediately go away from, uh, hi, how do you do, into, oh, my hand hurts. Okay, and then from the thought from, oh, my hand hurts, now we get judgmental, he should not hurt my hand. Okay, so here's well, that's a little hard of an example, though, because it's it's we're talking about physical pain. So, right. I mean, well, I would say, OK, let's go back to the point, though, that I'm just making here to leave it with that is uh, just the example is, is that the body conditions our thoughts and the body conditions our feelings. So a strong sensation on the body is going to condition the feelings and the thoughts. What do you mean when you say condition? Well, we'll talk about that. Okay. 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 Uh, it's not necessarily a cause and effect, but it's a conditioning. Like, for instance, if you leave your car out in the weather, it will get um, uh, dirty because of the fact that there is dirt in the air. The dirt didn't make the car dirty. It can, or it, now the car is dirty, it's a dirty car. The dirt didn't make the car, it just conditioned the car. Because the car was in a certain condition called, there's dirt around it. Dirty around it, exactly. Right. So we call the car dirty, where in fact it's not the car that's dirty, it's the dirt on the car that's dirty. <laughs> yeah, so you're, you're, you're talking about the conditions themselves. Right, being the conditioning the root, itself. The being root, the root conditioning and source. Is, is is that we are interconnected these are not individualized components yes yeah, so and this makes so much sense so the feelings condition the body meaning the body in this case is the car and the feelings is the dirt in the air okay and so what we're getting at at least if i'm following you correctly what we're getting at is addressing the conditions directly yes. such that the feelings and thoughts and using them as friends so that we can condition things correctly. Yes. Okay. Hmm. All right. Now, okay. now what my question was is, do you see the Metahasi method and the Buddha's method as indirect conflict to each other? Or do you see them as pointing to the, no, to the moon? They still point the to huge. the moon. But no, in different one directions. of them is the lower part of the pyramid, and the uh, and the teaching of the Buddha is the upper part of the pyramid. Still a pyramid. Can you okay. can you elaborate on how that is? Everyone has to start doing the Mahasi method if they were doing it correctly. That in fact, what you were saying was is that as you investigate these feelings over and over again and accept them as they are is not the teaching of the buddha 
But that's the teaching of the Mahasi method. And what happens is, is eventually people on their own will then start practicing the Buddha's method because they see the dukkha in those feelings. Ah, okay. When, when in fact, the whole teaching of the Buddha is to point out the dukkha in the first place so that the students can see the dukkha right away and throw it out right away. So to your point then, as you told me in the beginning of the call, it's very important to learn this, then mm. learn this, then mm -hmm. learn this. So by your logic, it sounds like I'm exactly where I should be. Well, yes, but it took a long time because of the initial point is, is that you could have started practicing the next phrase that I'm about to say, which mm. is very common now. And that is, is that you have spent your whole life talking yourself into feeling bad. And now it's time to talk yourself into feeling good, that the mind can condition the feelings if you practice it over and over and over and over again. That what you have been practicing is accepting bad feelings. Now you're beginning to practice more correctly, which is to not accept those bad feelings but to look at the source of those bad feelings and change that source so that now you don't have bad feelings, you have good feelings instead. Mm. But isn't okay. the whole point to transcend feelings altogether? No, there is no point. Or, okay, 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 okay. Uh, well, <laughs> Okay. Hold on a minute. I, I know I know language, right? Like right. We, we we have our understandings and then there's language just, and language can muddle. Just, just like originally we were talking about is, is that if somebody can't attain no mind, then right. no mind, they can't do anything. They will starve to death because they cannot even think about having food. So, well, I would um, assume that the same thing is true about being able to feel hunger. So, so to your point, okay, Dan, he'll often tell me, he says, in his experience, he sees Danness or feelings or thoughts as nothing, no, uh, no more or less significant than the weather. That's exactly correct. Okay. But, but okay. that's a way because we can see them that way. Yes. Or we yes. think of them as that way. And, and we keep thinking of them that way over and over again. And then we can begin to see the feelings that way. That's yeah. the training. Yeah. And it is starting to show up that way to me as well. All right. So let's continue with this. I know that you want to get everything figured out before you do it, but Maybe we need to collect a few pieces of the jigsaw puzzle without even finding the place that they go into yet. No, it. it, it okay. I mean, you're 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 not wrong about that. I do like to figure things out, but I will tell you, um, I, you know, Dan's biggest, um, well, Dan and Artem, by the way, biggest teaching to me has been to follow my own experience, to trust my own direct experience, because my problem ah but not or the my old fault. direct experience is this one what not old direct experiences but this one but yeah the no one you're, this you're one. in this yeah. moment yeah yeah this yeah one, the this here one now right experience. now experience okay yes and okay. i 
I, for a long time, haven't been following my own experience. I'll rely on teachings. I'll rely on other students. I'll let people kind of take whatever insight I've had or experience or, or relief even that I've had on the path and make and use their confirmation bias or their experiences or their teachings to invalidate my experience or to even confirm the validity of my experience. Right. So you're comparing the experiences then on standards rather than just having the experience without all of the standards. Okay. Exactly. So let's, let's go back to the train of thought about the original point about accepting feelings. Accepting the feelings is um, part of the process that in fact, one of the ways that I look at it is making friends with our dark side. The Simon and Garfunkel song, song, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend, I've Come to Talk With You Again. Now, when I was a teenager, I thought of that song in the sense of going into the room and turning the lights off and closing the door. (laughs) We're talking about what we're talking about is the, the darkness within our own mind. When that comes, we can see it. An example of that is. Can you hold on? I got to shut my door. I got to shut okay. my door. Hold on. <laughs> Don't turn the lights off. <laughs> okay. okay. Hi. All right. So, uh, hello, darkness, my old friend. <clears throat> we actually, we can look at it from the situation that most people do not want to see their mistakes. They do not want to see their dark side because their dark side does not match up to their standards. And so accepting we, one's we, feelings has a we, quality to it. We, you're saying we don't want to see our own Dark yeah, side. Each person, each person doesn't want to see their own dark sides because we don't match up to our own standards. Mm. Okay, we want to hide our wrongdoing. Bank right. robbers don't do things out in public. They want to hide. They do not want to be seen. You do not want to be seen in public doing really stupid things that you would think would be stupid and you do them anyway. Now, is this the kind of ego process that you speak of? Well, let's not even look at that. Let's look at the fact that that's a truism, that it's the case. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And what that does then is that it prevents us from being able to learn from our mistakes. Because we don't want to look at them. We want to deny them. We don't want to uh, get caught. Because we don't want to see that thieving is wrong. We want to continue to thieve. That uh, in the Christian uh, church of the uh, the Catholics, they have a confessional. Where the idea is, is that the child comes in and tells what they've done wrong and does repentance or do something like that. But then they have permission to go and sin again because they can come back and get forgiveness again. 
And so we want to continue to do the wrong things, and that's why we don't want to get caught at doing it. Because we, if we have to make a public declaration that I'm not going to do that anymore, then that means that we can't do it anymore. We have well, to stop doing it. How I understand that is, in, in other words, is if we were to look at these wrongdoings or look at these ways in which we make ourselves suffer or hurt others, we would be facing a great pain in, 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 a, in a way. We'd be facing the pain of seeing our own ignorance. Yes, exactly. And that's one's right effort is to go ahead, but we don't have to see it as pain. Right, right. And when we don't have to see it as pain, then we can see it as a teacher and a friend. Right. Hello, darkness, my old friend, because that's where I learn how to what is right and what is wrong is because I'm actually looking at what I'm doing is wrong. All right, so okay. this is actually the core of Anapanasati in the moment, because the way that we're talking about it and the phrasing that I'm using indicates this kind of some big action that happened then, and now we have to suffer the consequences at a later time. And so we want to not have to suffer those consequences, so we tell a lie to ourselves or to other people. Mm-hmm. So this takes the time frame. But the way that to actually look at it is not in that time frame, but in the thought that we're having in this particular half a second or tenth of a second is going to affect the way that I feel for the rest of the second. This is how we mean by that phrase is that we have literally been talking ourselves into feeling bad our whole lives based upon fear. And that it is now time to start accepting your feelings, which means to talk to them in a pleasant way. This is what the Buddha now, and I'm introducing the concept that this is one of the major problems of Buddhism in the West is missing this one point. And that is the Buddha says is that to remove unwholesome thoughts and to replace them with wholesome thoughts. That is one's right effort. Be sure to understand that because the sequence goes like this is sati to wake up and then to look at what's going on, looking at the breath, looking at the mind, looking at the contents. What thought am I having right now? If I'm looking at the thought that I'm having right now, it might in fact be a very pleasant thought. Wow, everything is really great right now. Or it may be a thought that will uh, lead, that that is based upon the past, based upon the future, based upon um, ignorance, based upon restlessness, based upon doubt, based upon all the various possible hindrances. This particular thought is unwholesome. And that what we need to do is to remove that unwholesome thought and replace it in the next thought moment, in the next mind moment, with a wholesome thought. This is the repetition also over and over and over and over again is to remember to gladden the mind, to remember to replace the thought in the mind that keeps us in the feeling systems that we have become accustomed to and gladden the mind and be happy with our darkness. 
Because if we're happy with our darkness and convince ourselves of it and, and, uh, and see that, in fact, there is no darkness, because right now the thought is of joy and happiness and satisfaction and safety and comfort and security and satisfaction and those kinds of words and everything is okay and everything is fine, then we begin to feel like that. That we can literally talk ourselves into feeling good by talking to ourselves about what's happening in the here now that's real and correct. This is really what's going on right now is I'm just sitting here with nothing to do and no place to go and everything is okay. Those computers in that other room don't need me right now. And I can be happy in this present moment. Okay, and so this is what we want to set some some time aside for to practice. Practice this one note over and over and over again. And so that trumpet player in your mind can play that note. Okay, so. Um, uh, with, you know, embouchure, right? So you use your your practicing and building up the lip muscles by playing that trumpet, getting that embouchure going. Okay, that's why uh, the question is, is uh, what do the jaw muscles of the trumpet player look like? Does he play the trumpet like this? Or does he play the trumpet like this? All right, the one who's doing this doesn't play too long because his jaws hurt. But if you if we tighten it up like this and tighten those jaw muscles and continue to tighten those jaw muscles will get really strong to where this is relaxing the muscles, having the air push out this coming from all of the body and the muscles get tired. So this is one of the reasons why trumpet teachers will teach the students, no, you've got to not poke out your cheeks when you're playing trumpet, we're going to be doing exactly those kind of things in the moment of playing that that note in our mind that we're going to be playing happy thoughts. We're going to be teaching uh, or saying things that are real, wholesome, valuable. And that word wholesome is the operative word because most of the thoughts that we have are unwholesome thoughts, thoughts of the past, thoughts of the future, thoughts of work to do, thoughts about what's to do and what's this, questions, all kinds of questions. And so coming to the state of not having questions and being satisfied with this present moment because we've talked ourselves into, it's okay to be satisfied in this present moment as we breathe in and breathe out. This is Anapanasati. This is the three steps of the Eightfold Noble Path. And that is Ripsati, to wake up, to be in the present moment, to be fully in the present moment, to grasp the present moment, not just to touch it. To grasp this present moment means to take control over the moment, to take control over your thought, to take control over your feeling, and if, oh, excuse me, over your body in the sense of, of uh, working with posture. The only thing that the body that the Buddha talks about, he doesn't even talk about uh, cross-legged, that the, when the suttas talk about cross-legged, that's actually a, um, a, a perversion of the actual Pali. The Pali says seat, which mm. can also be a chair or a couch. Mm. Okay. Can I ask you a question? Yes. How does this 
relate, if it does at all, to allowing the practice of allowing everything to be as it is? Well, all of your thoughts of uh, fixing broken wheels and writing emails is, in fact, your mind not liking things the way they are and want to fix things. And when you start liking the way things are right now, then you have less likelihood of wanting to go fix something. That the broken is in your own mind, and when you begin to see things that are not broken, that things are in fact fixed. Or let us say uh, uh, operable. An example of that is so I, all so, kinds. Go ahead. So uh, how I understand what you're saying that is, it's like. This practice of noticing unwholesome thoughts and then remembering to notice, right? That's Anapanasati to remember. And then replacing those unwholesome thoughts with wholesome thoughts is the practice of conditioning your mind to allow everything to be as it is because it's difficult to allow everything to be as it is when your mind is in a condition by default, uh, a default condition that doesn't allow everything to be right. the way that it is. Exactly. So what you're saying so is that's you're like- why it's so hard. That practice yeah. is so hard because get you're it. starting with broken tools. Yes. And we're saying, and no, we got to get the tools working yes. really quickly. We got to get our skills. We got to get our tools up and to scratch so that we can accept those thoughts. Uh, so those everything, yeah, so everything that I've been doing has been good. It's been helpful. I've cultivated great practice. Um, it's just that it's been kind of against the grain more, so to speak, than with what you're saying with this. This is kind of like going back to the basics. You're learning how to build a, you know, if you could say like a house of cards, you're building a stronger foundation each layer. Whereas mm -hmm. I kind of started somewhere in the middle and I'm like trying to find my way through it. That's a very, very good analogy. Yes. Uh, many, many examples of that you will find in Western Buddhism, but the mentality is Western culture. And so yeah. they take the Western culture mentality into Buddhism. And what do they see? They see a whole lot of words that look like that they are something to be attained. Yes, so exactly. people want to attain John. Yes. They want to attain Sotapat. Yes. They want to attain Arahat. And then yeah. they convince <laughs> themselves that they've attained something. And then they go around bragging about it. Yeah, and I've, man, I can't tell you how far, I, how much I've driven myself insane by wanting something else other than what is here right now. Dan has helped me so much realize he's like, wanting is the problem. Craving is the problem. I want mm -hmm. things to be different than they are. Dukkha. Uh, I, I cannot accept things the way they are right now. Dukkha. <laughs> Precisely, you're not satisfied. I, I want my girlfriend to be other than how she is. Dukkha. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yes. So and she cannot change how she is. So how can you change her? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, uh, no, I'm 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 excited to see where this is going. I, I will say that the thing that I have been most struggling with, that I would say that is most of a struggle for me, is noticing is good. I'd say I notice pretty frequently, and I remember to notice. The remembering kind of just happens a lot by itself. But where I lack um, 
breadth is actually replacing those unwholesome thoughts. Do you actually mean like, let's say, okay, I saw that video of you uh, that you had the other day. I, I don't, it might've been your most recent one. I don't know. It was the guy from the UK. He had the headphones on and he had a British accent. You talked to him for about two hours and I listened to you tell him this stuff about replacing your unwholesome thoughts with wholesome thoughts. And I went to the sink and I started washing dishes and I started noticing um, the first unwholesome thought that came up, which was, oh my gosh, how am I going to be able to do this? How am I going to be able to notice every single unwholesome thought and every single mind moment? And then right there, I saw, well, there is an unwholesome <laughs> thought there it is. right there. <laughs> and I was like, okay, all right. And then I, and then I said, okay, I'm okay. I can do this. I'm safe. It's okay. I've, everything is fine. I'm here. The, the warm water on my skin, it's okay. And then it was like, oh, there it is again. Another one, another one, another one. And then the next thought was like, oh my gosh, I can't even sustain this. Like, I feel like I'm going to drive myself insane. Oh, there's the next unwholesome thought. There's and it was one. like, it was like over and over again. And to be honest with you, the the act of replacing an unwholesome thought with every single unwholesome thought with a wholesome thought sounds absolutely absurd and terrifyingly difficult. Well, like not I not all I, of them, just this one. <laughs> I just I just don't know how I'm gonna be able to do something like that. You don't or even you if do it's it necessary. This thought. Just this thought. You're greedy, you're grasping and clinging for something that you don't have. You want something and you're creating yourself dukkha. Can you see that this thought you can come and say, right now I can be okay. Right now I can be happy. And so we have to keep practicing these wholesome or let us say on key notes. And then what about this? Sometimes when I think actually the problem probably isn't the unwholesome thought, it's my lack of conviction that replacing an unwholesome thought with a wholesome thought will actually make any kind of difference. Because when, I replace, the right effort. when I replace an unwholesome thought with a wholesome uh -huh. thought, Domorado, and I say, I'm okay, I'm happy, I don't believe that for shit. It's just lip service. So how... How does but that that's actually the whole work? Point is because you're thinking of it as a great big you. Let's no, I, go I, mean back. In, I mean, in this moment, in this moment in, right here, if I right. say I'm, I'm happy, even right now, I'm happy. I'm satisfied. I'm not. I know it's a lie. Okay. But so what's that it? about? Uh, well, here's the point. Remember when you were telling about the, the learning how to swim that your arms got tired? Yeah. Okay, so practicing Anapanasati, your mind is going to get tired. And so more hindrances are going to be coming in. This is why we want students mm -hmm. to practice for short periods of time rather than long periods of time. That okay. in fact, one of the problems with Western meditation is the competition of how long can you sit? Yeah, for sure. All right. And that's not the point. The point is, is that when people go past their, there's a thing called attention span. 
And if you practice correctly, you can improve your attention span. Expand it. Yeah. That is, in fact, what one of the things that is good for our talks that are uh, the talks that I have with students last about an hour or sometimes longer. And the question is, can the student stay on track? Can they still in focus or does the mind start scattering and wandering around into all kinds of questions or can the student keep focused? On what we're talking yeah, about. I, I've noticed that in our conversation, then bringing myself back. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I know what you're saying. And, and so uh, we need to practice that on a regular basis, two or three or four, five, six times a day for only about 10 minutes to sit down intentionally, say, for the next five minutes, I'm only going to have wholesome thoughts, one after another after another. It's mm -hmm. after five or 10 minutes is when we say, oh, this is hard. Well, it is hard. That's because you've been swimming now for five or ten minutes, and your arm, your brain has gotten tired. Okay? So this is this is during this is during um, this is during the in and out breath practice, or this is separate yes. from that. This is the in and out breath breath practice because you have plenty of mind moments on an in breath and plenty of mind moments on an out breath. The question is, how are you going to be spending these mind moments? It only takes one mind moment of sati to remember that this is going to be a, a deep in-breath. And that, in fact, while we're watching the breath itself, that's a kind of mind moment. But it, uh, that, in fact, there's when we talk about mind moments, most people think about thinking discursive thoughts because most of the time our mind moment is occupied with having a uh, a discursive thought but there are other kinds of thoughts for instance if you are thinking non-stop one after another and your your arm gets caught in the fire or your arm gets uh, a great big insect or maybe a snake biting it but you're only thinking the thoughts about your grandmother and how much you hated her that's not going to happen. No, you're going to remove mind moments from the thoughts about your granny into your arm. In fact, you may stop thinking about your granny altogether and start paying attention to your arm, but the paying attention to the arm is not thinking about it. Okay, so there's three ways of spending mind moments. One is in discursive thought, and the other one is sensory awareness. That if we're paying attention to the senses, that's a mind moment. For instance, if you see somebody coming down the street, it took a mind moment to see them coming down the street, and then you have thoughts about them in the next few mind moments. So, so spending more and more mind moments in the present means spending more and more mind moments in sensory input rather than in mental repetition and, and mental huh. spinning. Okay. Okay, so, so, this so is we're, conditioning, we we're conditioning the mind to be more interested in sensory input, input. than mental oh, old sensory input. randomness. Yeah, okay. okay the old so, sensory input is like in a jar that's all shook up and just any old thought from the past will come. You see, you don't have... Uh, in, on a computer, for instance, you can sort of file directory by date. You can sort of file uh, system by alphabetical order of the file name. You can uh, you can sort it by the kind of file that it is, the type of file, et cetera, like that. 
you don't have that organizational ability built into your mind. When you were a child, you just started taking input. And so now you've got like a hard drive of the mind that just kind of picks up something random all over the place. And we're yeah. going to start putting some sequences in there. We're going to start repetition. And one of the important <laughs> ones is to stop with that old garbage that's all over the place and start thinking consistently in our sensory awareness to be here now, to put our attention on the body. So that uh, step three of Anapanasati is in fact experiencing the body. And mm. step four is relaxing the body. Well, we were relaxing the body only because we were relaxing the mind and relaxing our feelings all together, that they kind of come together in that sense. So okay. the relaxing of the body, well, people who are sitting in meditation for long periods of time and think that they're supposed to be building a skill by sitting still, they wind up making the body uncomfortable. Because the body is designed for movement. It's not designed for sitting still for long periods of time until it comes at rest. And when the uh -huh. body is at rest, okay, and so what people are doing is, is that they're struggling to make it still, trying to still the body rather yeah. than just letting it relax. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes yeah. more struggle there. And yes. so the, the legs are painful. Yeah. Rather than being comfortable. And yeah. so we only want to practice uh, uh, so long as the body is comfortable. We're sitting upright. We don't have to sit in a cross-legged posture. What we need to sit is in a comfortable upright posture. And we want to sit upright so that we can breathe well. Now, I, I have a herniated disc. So I actually lay down when I meditate. And I don't care. I'm, I'm the just Buddha as talked about all the I'm, postures, all okay. four postures. Yeah. I'm just as effective. What, I, I can relax if, my body just as much. So better than many, but you can see the hardcore Dhamma dudes that they've got to sit and they've got to, you know, yeah, that's, struggle with it. Exactly. Yeah. It's not because a struggle. If it's a struggle, it's not it. <laughs> that's right. Because they've been struggling their whole lives and they just bring their struggle to the meditation where in fact the whole practice is the practice of coming out of our struggling. Yeah. Yeah. And the struggle is because we want something and we generally want something because we're dissatisfied without it. This is so interesting. I just saw something in what you said, the entire, this is why the entire worldview or self view, which is the worldview is completely upside down and how it is, is because, well, it's like that goal chasing, right? Like I, I'm striving, I need to get to this point. Well, that's kind of the struggle. That's mm -hmm. why we struggle because we need to get somewhere. We believe that we need to get somewhere, which means we inherently lack something. So we need to get there because we're not satisfied here. But mm -hmm. the whole, the whole trick of it all that is like right in front of us, but also very hard to see until you know, maybe I have a conversation with someone like you or I start seeing it more is that you bring yourself to that relaxation now, that relaxation from struggle now, now. learn to be satisfied now, now, and then the struggle and the all of the goals and the getting to that you want actually ends up taking care of itself because all that you ever really wanted 
was to just relax. <laughs> yeah, right. We did all of that stuff so that we could relax and we never get relaxed because we've always got more to do. Yeah. Now yeah. is the time to come and actually practice relaxing. Yeah. To practice having no problems, no goals for the moment and just enjoy the moment. Yeah. To become then, satisfied. Now, you... as we build up satisfaction, let me go for a while. Yeah, go ahead. Now that we are getting satisfaction, practicing satisfaction, repeating satisfaction over and over and over again, we're developing the skills. We also develop something else, and that is confidence or shraddha. What that means is, is that we get the can-do attitude. This is the samasankapa, the fourth element. So we have the three elements of sati, investigation, and the effort to change the content of the mind into wholesome, and the effort that it takes to, to breathe well. When we keep doing that over and over again, we add that fourth ingredient of the samasankapa, and that is the attitude, I can do this. And then um, the next stage, or, or let us say an eventual stage, is where the student then has that winner's attitude of no matter how unhappy, no matter what events happen, no matter what kind of obstructions are come to the mind, I can clean that out and come back to the present moment and see that everything is okay. I can see the truth of it. Now, now this point of no matter what happens, no matter how obstructed the mind gets, the attitude is that I can handle that. This is the first step on the path that is noble. This is the first step on the path that is super mundane. It's above the world because you're saying the world is no matter what the world brings, no matter what the world is in my mind, I can throw that stuff out and come back to the present moment of the reality of the real world. And I can do that anytime. So even when I'm in handcuffs, even when I'm getting arrested, even when I'm on trial with the judge, even when I'm in the hospital rolling into the ICU, whenever I'm looking at the bank statement to see the wife has just cleaned me out. Okay, anything that happens with the mind or I go on to Reddit and find out that there's a running dialogue between four or five people that absolutely hate Damarato. Whatever it is that happens, <laughs> I can get out of that mentality, oh, poor me, and come back into the reality of the situation. Everything's okay. Everything is fine. I can be all right. I'm going to handle this getting arrested. I'm going to handle this getting wheeled into the hospital. I can handle anything. I'll be okay. Even at the point of death, I can handle death easily because I'm the champion here. I can die happily. Even death itself is not going to prevent me from being in a good mood. Uh, um, do you want to keep going or can I ask you a question? Yes. Well, uh, go ahead. Ask a question. So. Um, as this process unfolds and we get stronger in our ability to follow these practices consistently, and um, get better with them. I would not recommend using the word follow. That's what victims do. Follow, Brother, okay. 
rather practice or development or I can do this. It's oh, okay. the attitude. Okay. okay. We're okay. not following something else. We're doing something. We can do this. What am I doing? I'm changing the content of the mind from unwholesome thoughts to wholesome thoughts. And I know that I can do that. Even when I'm driving down the road and the red and blue lights start flashing in, uh, in the interior of the car and I hear the siren go off. When that happens, how do you feel? How do you feel when you know that you're just been tagged in traffic and you got to and the cop afraid afraid okay right is it a good idea to behave with the cop as if you were afraid how would a criminal behave with a cop he's going to be afraid so if you show fear to a cop he's going to assume that you're doing something wrong <laughs> if you start acting fearful and start acting jerky, he's going to put his hand on his gun. And if you do something really stupid, he's going to shoot you because he's afraid too. Why is the cop afraid? Because you're afraid and he picked up on your fear. But if you can, hi, officer, I'm glad to see you guys out on duty tonight. I've heard so many good things about your department. And I think that it's really marvelous that you guys are doing such a fine job here. What can I do for you, officer? I haven't been doing anything wrong. So I assume that you need my assistance. How can I help you? Oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> no, it's not ridiculous. It's a way to make friends with the cop. You make no. friends with everybody. No, I got it. I got it. Okay. So, but you have to have mindfulness and you have to have that attitude that you can handle this poor stupid cop. You can manipulate him. You can twist him around your finger. You've got this wired. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I got two questions now. <laughs> okay. So the but first you understanding, you're beginning to get what I'm talking about, that you can handle anything. That's yes. the Samus and Kappa. Yes. Is you're the lion now. This is what Danny has had to go through. Okay, so the first question is, as we get stronger in these practices, as we learn them better, right, and they become more familiar with us, we become more familiar with them. Is Do you, you yourself, Domerado, do you still practice this? Or was there a point at Every which... Every moment wait, that I on. can remember. <laughs> or was the, is there a point ever where you could just let go? You could just let go from practices. Like you can just be in life. You don't have to. You don't have to change it this. You don't have to your change definition that. of that. The letting go is, in fact, the uh, if your if your strong habit. Uh, oh, the letting go for the beginning swimmer is to give in to the arm burn and his letting go is to stop swimming or float. Okay, but the champion, he's going to go and continue on. Never mind, I'm going to let go of that arm pain. I'm going to make this thing. I can do this. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Here's what I, here's what I don't want to do, okay? What I don't want to do is end up adopting a practice that I'm going to have to think about every waking moment for the rest of my life because that is there tiring as well. Again. You don't have to do that. You only have to think about things now when you remember to think about things now. You're setting standards for yourself. 
And because it, it looks like a pretty high mountain just uh, to, to climb, I'd rather not. No, so no, no. Uh, oh, I can do this next step. I can do yeah. one more step. And no, one, no. that's it's, the only thing, is just one more step. Think no, about I, it like that. Just one, just this moment. I understand what you're saying is don't think of it <laughs> like a mountain ahead of you and think of it like you're just going to have this one and this one and this one. I understand what you're saying. What I'm saying is something different, though. Um, so okay. please, if you, if you could try to understand this, it would help a lot because it really right. is kind of pressing for me. What I'm talking about is. OK, are you familiar with. Um, OK, you familiar with the idea of positive thinking? Yes, affirmations. I talk about affirmations a lot. OK. In the now, sense that affirmations are students like the young girl standing in the front of a mirror on her uh, way to school saying, I'm the most beautiful girl in town. I'm the one who everybody loves. I'm the star of the show. I'm the beauty queen. I'm the uh, uh, homecoming queen, that kind of stuff. She can stand in front of the mirror and give herself those positive uh, uh, affirmations while she don't believe it. This is what a lot of people do incorrectly. No, what yes. we're looking at is the real. In yes. reality, the reality is, is that there are no alligators on the floor in front of you. Okay. The okay. reality is, is that you do not have any tarantulas crawling on your keyboard or on your leg. The reality is, is that right now you actually are safe. And the only reason that you would feel unsafe is because of something that you're thinking that's not here. But that self-preservation mechanism was a mechanism to keep us safe in this present moment. Back in the times when we had to be really quick on our feet or get eaten, that was where the self-preservation instinct came from. But it always has to do with the now. What the humans have done is that they have given a clock <laughs> they've actually given a clock to this stuff rather than seeing it as in this present moment. So if we have fear in this present moment, why? Because we've talked ourselves into that fear where the reality is, is there's nothing to fear. Okay. So. And the girl standing in front of the mirror saying that she's fearless is doesn't work. Because she does have that fear rather than convincing herself that, wait a minute, it doesn't matter what the kids say at school today, I'm okay. I'll, I'll survive the day. And, I'll, I, and I can really survive right now. That's the point. We don't have to even think about surviving all day. We just have to think about, can I survive this particular insult? Because it's just an insult. It's not actually a weapon. They're not going to kill me. All right. Now, I know this is future talking, right? Okay. But well, I want to. You know that. <laughs> I wanna, but I want to ask. But I want to ask you about it. Where? What? What is your um, understanding of the separate self? Uh, we idea, can get into uh, that, the uh, teaching yeah. of the teacher Samupada. By the way, when people talk about his method or that method or whatever like that, 
I would like to make sure that you understand that um, a great deal of over the years, not just me, but the entire lineage through Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, and I can get into some of the power of that, but that this is the teaching of the Buddha that we're talking about. This is not my particular method. Yeah. This yeah, is no, the I... teaching of the Buddha, and yes. that it's all documented quite well in the suttas if people would practice the stuff that's in the suttas rather than practicing their confirmation biases. Yes, Dan told me. Dan's told me that. Yeah. Okay, so um, the, the, the way of looking at it is that back to those affirmations. The affirmations are merely people lying to them. Sorry. Say, say it again. I say affirmations are nothing but people lying to themselves. It's wishful thinking. It's wanting something that we don't have. But the reality of the situation is I'm okay. I'll survive at least the next minute or two. Regardless of what happens, there's only one thing that's like that. And that is the breath that every one of us is a, has a death sentence. And we have only two minutes to live. You will die in two minutes, but you can get a reprieve with the next breath. So begin to think of your breathing as life-giving, life-sustaining. You need this breath. And that's all you need to stay alive this moment. This breath so, at this moment is all we need. And you keep thinking about off into the future, and that's why you keep suffering. Rather than just this moment, <laughs> this breath is okay right now. Yes, yes. That's okay, wait. Okay, but can you address my question? Which is what? What is your understanding of the separate self? The understanding of the separate self is very complicated because it arises and passes away due to conditions. Okay. The better way of talking about it is, is that there is no permanent self. Yes, right. Yeah. Okay, whatever yeah. the self is, it's not permanent. And this is the teaching of Christianity, that your soul is everlasting, it's permanent, it's strong enough to survive death. But it is not, because it actually, even though it has been broken with original sin, it's somehow kind of perfect and unchangeable. People get the idea that they can't change. So the whole teaching of the Buddha is that there is no permanent self. Whether there is a temporary self or not needs to be investigated because if there is a temporary self, then that depends upon conditions. What are the conditions that arise for the self to exist? Because that's what the whole teaching of the Buddha is about, that when the okay. self arises, when the self-preservation instinct is in gear, that means that you're not satisfied, that yes. that's dukkha itself, being afraid. Okay. Okay. And so okay. what we're going to do is we're going to, with wisdom, with our intellectual mind, with the higher mind of the human, we're going to take over the instincts, make friends with them rather than being driven around by them which means that we are grateful for our fear because your fear has kept you alive. Because but you're not going to be managed by your fear anymore. Because I imagine my understanding is why that's important to make friends with those aspects of our temporary <laughs> selves 
potentially that we do not like or that we don't like to see or that we just simply are completely ignorant of why mm -hmm. we're trying to bring attention to those and be friends with those is because then they are easier to look at. They're easier to let go of. They're easier to see arise and pass away. Yes. Or the word that I just used, they're easier to control. They're they become control. your allies. You be, they become your allies and your friends so that you can use and manipulate not only your feelings, but everybody else's too. <laughs> okay, now that gets to my other question I had earlier. Wait a minute, hold on. I just did that, by the way. Now, now we don't... With, within the past three or four seconds, I just did that. And okay. you burst out laughing, which okay. is exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. Now, I, I so want to make sure we don't actually. You don't actually genuinely mean that. Dhamma is a pathway to manipulating people. Yes, absolutely. It profoundly is. And boy, are we glad that the Buddha has over the past 2,500 years continued to manipulate people in a wholesome way. In a wholesome way. Okay. Okay. Got it. So we're, we're not talking about, you know, manipulating people to writing fake checks or uh, you know, like robbing banks or... <laughs> No, that would, basically, that would not be wholesome. I know, but that was an unwholesome thought on your part. Rather than <laughs> getting what I was saying, you're thinking about robbing banks and harming people, manipulating. No. You, you have an a con, you. In fact, what you have is you have a sinister context into the word manipulating. I do actually. Yeah, I do. I would okay. say I do. All right. I, I have both. I have both. Actually, I've noticed. Um, so manipulating is bad. Therefore, you're out of control completely because you can't manipulate anything. You can't manipulate an automobile. You can't manipulate a bicycle. You can't manipulate a computer. You can't manipulate anything. Well, that's not true either, because I do. I have learned the skill of manipulation since my awakening experience. It was something that I actually never would have touched. But since my awakening experience, I saw that, hey, I'm not so attached to, to, I'm not so attached to viewing myself in this particular way. So it makes it easier to do things or say things that I would have otherwise deemed as, you know, okay. um, right. improper behavior or whatever, because I'm attached to Alex being a certain way. So as I've become less attached to Alex being a certain way, I've found freedom to be many ways. And one of those mm -hmm. ways is manipulating. But okay. I do have a negative connotation of it in some regards. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you brought it up, but you didn't. I mean, you spent five minutes telling me something I already knew. Okay, great. All right. Well, okay. All on right, you go so, then. Thank you. <laughs> on we go. Okay. So let's look at it from music again. If you have a well tuned violin sitting on a table in a music room, typical music room, and you come in and play uh, the note on the trumpet, I think would be a, a G, which is actually an A sound. No, it's the other way around. You would be playing a B on, on the trumpet because they're tuned for C, but it's actually a B flat trumpet. So they have to move the scale a bit. But the note that's an A for the violin, if you come in as a trumpet player and play that same note, 
and then walk out of the room and somebody else comes into that room, they can still hear that violin playing that note if they listen carefully. The violin starts resonating. This is called sympathetic vibration. You're probably quite aware of it. It's well known. It's been a long time since I've... Sympathetic, uh, sympathetic vibration that you can take the pedal off of the uh, off the piano to let all the, the notes uh, float freely without that uh, uh, felt pad damper. And you can play that trumpet. That piano will make all kinds of noise because that trumpet has played a note. But the note, but the primary note that the piano is going to play is the note that the trumpet played. This is sympathetic vibration. It happens in all kinds of ways in all kinds of places. It, you could call it influence. Hmm. You can call it serendipity. Hmm. But it's also just sympathetic vibrations of sound. Now. We do that with emotions all the time, and those emotions are based upon instincts. And the primary instinct that uh, is the conveyor of the of the sympathetic vibration within the humans is the nesting instinct of going along to get along. If you're going to be a member of this group, you've got to abide by the group's rules. And right now, the group is playing the note A, and it's your job to play the note A. Okay. Which means now on a practical level, someone who is angry wants other people in the room to be angry with him. Mm -hmm. The alcoholic wants other people to drink with him. Mm -hmm. the, the one who is having a miserable time, misery loves company. Mm -hmm. Okay, you get where I'm coming from? We manipulate each other all the time. Yes. The angry guy is manipulating people to feel angry. Yeah. The, uh, the uh, pity party uh, wants... Uh, participants more the merrier the more people i can make miserable the more people i can convince that my anger my frustration my confirmation bias is correct and the more people i can get to agree with me the better i feel that's mm. a nesting instinct in operation well if that's the case with all those unwholesome sympathetic vibrations why don't we practice wholesome sympathetic vibrations? So you practice not just giving yourself joy and happiness and satisfaction and security, but you give that as a gift to others. This is actually uh, the Pali word for this is mudita. It's part of the uh, uh, four Brahma Viharas or the four um, ways of dealing with people nobly is that you you manipulate them into feeling good you tell them jokes you cheer them up you make friends with them well here's the thing about somebody who is angry he wants somebody else to be angry so uh so if he's angry at the bank he wants everybody to be angry at that bank but if he is angry at you then he wants you to be angry back at him mm-hmm Okay, mm -hmm. but it's always the angry person wants other people to be angry. And he doesn't like it when people tell him to calm down because he wants to get them agitated too to prove that his agitation and his anxiety and his fear and his anger are somehow justified by the what the bank did. Yeah. Okay, so that's manipulation. 100%. Okay. 
Start practicing manipulating so that you can manipulate yourself and manipulate other people into feeling good and happy and comfortable and satisfied and content and mm. successful. Mm. Which is exactly what I'm doing with you. That's my job is to teach you that you can, in fact, get a big kick out of calling me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's my job is to share joy, to share that sparks. The spark of the uh, the Dhamma is to get you to start thinking, oh, I can do wholesome thoughts. I can do them. Not I have not given you a job. Every thought that you have from now on, you've got to do this is not the teaching. It's this thought, the one you remember right now. When do you do this? Whenever you remember. But the first thing that students normally do is as soon as they do remember, they remember also that they did forget. And now they start beating themselves up because they didn't have some standard met that you should do it all the time. Rather than and giving themselves congratulations, at least now I can do it. Never mind that I was unhappy for four hours. Am I going to continue to be unhappy for another four hours because I caught myself being unhappy for four hours? Or am I going, or at least five minutes, why should I give myself five more minutes of being miserable because I caught myself being miserable for four hours? Instead, I can just cheer myself up right now. How do we cheer ourselves up? Is by coming back into the reality of the situation rather than stuck in our own miserable past. So before you were saying that you recommend five to ten minutes a day. Oh, sorry. No, five um, to ten minutes a session, six times a day. <laughs> five to ten minutes a session, six times a day. Okay. So what you're what you're saying that seems this, to give people great benefit. That's good. This whole practice that we're talking about here, okay? This this whole practice that we're talking about here. I want to make sure I'm correct. You're saying to practice this in sessions five to six times a day not randomly or idly throughout the day not like when i'm in calls at work or when i'm you know in the shower or when i'm cooking food only i'm not making the, that distinction you're not making that distinction okay no i am not but if the if you people think that the distinction is there then they'll do one or the other no what i'm saying is practice this correctly by intentionally for five minutes, I'm only going to have wholesome thoughts and I'm going to keep track of them and what I'm doing and congratulate myself every time that I do see another wholesome thought and make this thought a wholesome thought every time I see that it's not a wholesome thought and may begin to practice that. As we do that, over time, we'll begin to wake up other times of the day. Okay, so you're not and saying so you. And Lay down more and more often you remember. So what we're doing is developing the skill of sati. Okay, so I can do this while I'm on a work call. I can do this when I'm cooking as long as no, I... No, you don't do it on a work call. You do this in seclusion. Okay, you all right. So only... only the only input you have is the input and in your sensory awareness and the mind is paying attention to the sensory input and awareness of this present moment and how nice and pleasant and peaceful and relaxing it is to not have to worry about anything that's not happening right here, right now. When okay. you're on a call, you're completely in a different mindset. Okay, okay. This is to be done in seclusion over and over and over again. And then sometimes you'll, when you're not doing anything in particular, you'll begin to wake up. Okay, 
But then okay. it's also possible for you to wake up just when you're in a phone call and you're about to scream at your client, you wake up and say, hey, okay. Okay. he's my friend now. Okay. And so the uh, we're, what we're doing is we're developing a skill like practice okay. so that yeah. when it's time for performance, you will not freak out. Yes. So I can still practice this when I'm in performance, but you're saying to specifically focus on creating blocked out times just to start to practice mm -hmm. this in seclusion. All right. Um, now, something that Dan has taught me recently. Well, actually, he told me it a while ago, but I started practicing it more recently and I found it to be very, very helpful to me. And I wonder if he got this from you or how this relates to all this or if it does or whatever. Um, and what it is, is it's he, he, he recommends to notice whatever your experiences, whatever that is right now, this right experience now. that you're having right now, you can close your eyes and keep your eyes open. And then you see if whatever it is in your experience, you, you can see that as object. Oh, this right here is object, object. So if this is an object, not then there must me. be it's then an there object. Yeah, it's then not the subject. It's not it's me, right? Object. Right. And he says, so then if this is object, then there must be a subject. Where's the subject? And you keep asking yourself that until both object and subject end up breaking each other down. And what I've noticed is that this has been happening a lot recently in my experience when I go into this practice. I even do it sometimes when I'm on a work call, especially if there's irritation. I can see the whole irritation, the whole totality of the experience as an object. And as soon as I do that, it becomes less threatening. It becomes less of a problem. And you it's just not it. what it is. This is the way yeah. that I describe it often. You can possibly see these on videos. And that is, is that, um, let us say the round and round it goes, the frustration. And then I cling to it. I'm the frustration. Yes. Okay. Yes. The fact is, is that the wake up is, is to wake up to see that, oh, I am not the frustration. Yes. Aha, I can see the frustration yes. now as an object and I yes. am not that frustration. Most yes. people don't see that. They say I, and they will say in part of our language, I am frustrated. I am yes. angry. I'm ticked yes. off. Right. I'm upset. No, right. upsetness is there, but it's not you that's upset. Right, right. Frustration is there, but it's not you that's frustrated. Then right. You're just merely the observer observing the frustration. Right, and that is what I've started to experience in my own experience. I've been starting to get at least, if, if not if not 100% disidentification, distance for sure. A lot mm -hmm. of distance uh -huh. from that I am object not that I've that. been considering as me. Yeah, mm -hmm. and tonight... I wanted to just tell you tonight what happened when I did this is it went deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until there was so much relaxation. I was so relaxed to the point where it was almost kind don't, of don't don't cling to that. No, I no, I didn't. I don't didn't cling to that. I, because I was so just saying, never mind. Start again. I, don't I, expect anything. Just enjoy yeah, this present moment. Exactly. What do you do this present moment rather exactly. than cling to a past present moment? Exactly, but I want to tell you what happened because it, it already happened. What happened was I got up, I got up, and I was so physically disoriented. I felt like I didn't know, I, like nothing was holding me up, nothing was holding me down. Things didn't look far, things didn't look near. It felt weird to eat food. 
I went to kiss my girlfriend and it felt like my father. <laughs> it, <laughs> it felt like it was me kissing me. Like it was, it was the my whole react. Like it was very, very odd. Is that well, something that's because you haven't seen that perspective before, but that's the reality of the situation is that we are not separate. That the it's the pres- self-preservation instinct, that fear mechanism that's been keeping us alive. We have been confused about it. That keeping us alive doesn't mean that it keeps us separate. And yet that's the mentality that we have all that I am separate from all of that stuff, rather than no, that's me. So but that's this me at a very, very much higher level, not in the sense of attachment, but in yes. the sense of just the reality of the situation yes. Yes. that uh, uh, that everything is interconnected. So this experience which makes the me not important. I'm no uh, the individual yes. is not important because yes. there's so much of it all over the place. Yes. Yes, and I found I didn't even know what the hell to say. I didn't know what to say to anyone. I didn't have anything to say. I I, I was I was That's staring. Right. Nothing to say. Just be with it. And I was just staring, Domorado. I was just staring at trees for no reason. I was just staring at things, <laughs> and it was like it was complete in itself. Perhaps a better word would be gazing. Gazing. I don't know, man. It was it was trippy. But okay. um, gazing is something that happens when we're in a good state and staring is happens when we want something. I didn't you want anything. Well, that's the whole point that I'm making is to be careful with the language. Okay? OK, gazing is the word that we use when is like that. Staring is what like across the room. If you stare at a girl that you like very much, and you <laughs> think she's quite beautiful. That staring she's going to pick up on. Yeah. So and it gives us a sensation and she'll look to see who it is is staring at us. That happens so often. Yes. Yeah, so, hey, so this this practice that I've been doing, this subject object practice, how does this how do you suggest I go about this with layering this into the practice that you're suggesting? I mean, I've already been doing Samatha, the, yeah. the, the pleasure breath and everything and breathing in, but I haven't been doing five to six times a day. So I'm going to start doing that. But. I've also I've just been able to what I've been doing we'll is do I've that been, without expecting any next steps. Yes. But rather get good at doing that. And doing then what? We can put those skills together, spending five minutes six times a day in wholesome thought. Okay. Okay. So you're you're I just I don't want to I don't want to go away from the subject object work because it's helped me so much. I feel like it really has been great and I've been effective with it. Meaning, you know, I'll be able to lay down. I do we'll a recognize of, that those thoughts are just an object, and that you can manipulate and change those objects so that you can stop talking yourself into feeling bad and start talking yourself into feeling good. And you spend five minutes doing that. How do you take talk yourself into feeling good is by talking to yourself about what's happening right now. Okay. But and we begin to experiment and play with the body. We look at the breathing. We look at the uh, uh, the hair on the back of our neck and and all kinds of things just with the body of getting very familiar with the body with the intention of getting it to relax. But are you suggesting so, to take a break from the subject object work right now? No. See no. the body as just an object that's to be investigated. 
Okay, and the feelings and everything. So are just objects to be investigated. Okay, Okay. but how does it? Hmm. So this is what I've been doing. Maybe, maybe this is. Maybe I've been doing. You don't have to justify what you've been doing. No, 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 not doing this. No, no, not not to justify. I'm trying to see how this relates to how this, how I'm going to actually practice. So, when I practice right now. I lay down, and typically what I'll do is I will enjoy. Well, you don't have to lay down right now. You're not laying down, so what this chair you're sitting in is okay for five minutes. Right, but usually I lay down because it's better for my back. Well, um, you, unless you're working at home. I am working at home, yeah. Okay. So so, uh, so anyway, I'll lay down. Taking walks is good also. Yeah. Do, yeah. Practicing walking meditation would be practicing watching the body while it's walking, being in the here now. So what I'll do is I'll lay down, I'll breathe in. I enjoy this breath, breathe out, I enjoy that breath. And it That's gets the starting. And yeah. then you do and that goes, again. And, and then goes, you do that again. Yes. And, and then again. you do that again. Yes. And, you and do again. It again. Okay. And again and again and again. And then and you'll then, forget. Yep. And then I'll do it again. And then, and then at some point, and then back and start again. Exactly. And, and then at some point, my mind feels relaxed enough where I can just do the subject-object practice. You don't have to do Is a that... subject-object practice. Just be in the here now with the subjects and the objects. That you're trying to make something more than what really is needed. What you need to concentrate on is. Making the body an object, making your feelings an object, making your thoughts an object so that we can get into the point. Basically, what we're looking for is to be able to apply the mind and sustain the mind. This subject and object is thought is, is that's a Western concept. You can use it or not, but it's not necessary. What's really necessary is, is for you to actually change the content of the mind, to stop going with the habits of the mind, to continue to remember, to come back to the here now. Okay. Okay. Because the here now is now objective. It's not me anymore. Not the little me of the uh, the ego, but it's the big me of the universal reality, the Dhammakai, we can call it God. You are God. So is everything else. So what is an example of a wholesome thought. Wow, isn't that nice? I don't have to think about her right now. Wow, isn't it great that I don't have to do anything right now? Wow, I can just sit and relax right now. No place to go and nothing to do. Everything is so nice. Wow, the green is so... Wow, look how many different greens there are. Okay, so it... Just being in the present moment, relaxed with no duties, no place to go, nothing to do for the next five minutes. Okay. Anything that you think that, oh, but I've got to go do this, say not right now. Right now, we're going to spend our time being in the present moment, not problem solving. Okay. 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 So everything is objective. What objects are you paying attention to? You're paying attention to the body. You're paying attention to your feelings. You're paying attention to, and I use the word paying attention quite literally in the sense of that's one's right effort we have to pay attention okay just like the young swimmer's arms get tired 
We want to practice this only for a short period of time so we remain successful. When the mind gets tired, it's going to revert back to the instinctual way of doing things. And so if you're sitting there practicing too long, after a while, the mind gets really, really dull. And when it gets dull enough that they have weird experiences, and they call that an, a meditation insight or a meditation experience where, in fact, just the mind is just dull and tired. They've been working too hard at it. They want too much. They're struggling. They're striving. And then they have this weird experience, which basically is nothing but a stupid hallucination because the mind wasn't functioning well because they were working on it too hard. So the better thing is let's do just a little bit and get really good at it for a short time and get really good at it again for another short time and really good at it again for the next short time throughout the day. Yes. That's the way to practice. Practicing yes. long sitting times is uh, counterproductive. And so with that, people either work too hard and strive and go into dark nights of the soul and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> or they quit. Because they're not getting anything out of it. This is great. This is great. I'm really, really happy that we're talking. Great. Glad. Yeah. Okay. So we've been going at it about two hours now. Why don't we finish <laughs> and uh, uh, okay. you go practice this uh, the way that we're talking about for three, four days and then give me another call and we'll continue on with it. But first step at a time, one step at a time. You got to learn to play a scale, not a song. Okay, so I just want to make sure that I'm clear. I'm going to recap to you what I'm going to be doing over the next three or four days. So five or six times a day, I'm going to block out five or six times a day where I just um, be here now, practice and being in the be here now and enjoying each mind moment of the in-breath, each mind moment of the out-breath, each mind moment of the in-breath over and over again, forgetting, up, remembering, forgetting, up, remembering, and well, also noticing on If you unwholesome. keep talking to yourself, if you keep talking to yourself, if you keep talking to yourself anyway, because that's what the mind does, talk to yourself about the breath. Talk to yourself about the body. Talk yes. to yourself about what you're experiencing but put the best possible spin of reality on it. Don't right. go off into never, never land, but stay right. with how nice this really is. Right, right. Wholesome the breath is really thoughts. a friend. Wow, it keeps you alive. If you don't believe me, stop breathing for a little while until you really, really want a breath. And then when it comes in immediately, how good it feels. Yes. Yes. Okay, so experiment with how good it feels to breathe, but you're also thinking about it. And then the other piece of it is to continue to notice everything in my experience. Anything that I can notice and experience. Anything objects. would be a whole lot better than everything. Well, everything is, an, is a Western word. Anything as objects. Anything mm -hmm. as objects. Okay. Anything that comes up, it can be an object. Okay, cool. Not you. Yeah. Even if I don't believe it. That's the practice, right? Even if well, I don't if believe. If you do believe it, then see that belief as an object. an object. There you go, right? Okay. <laughs> All right. Good. Examine those beliefs. Recognize that that too is just a belief. That's the only way for us to come out of our confirmation bias is recognizing that we believe things based upon our feelings. 
Yes. Where okay. our feelings are completely been manipulated our whole lives. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. And so now it's time to manipulate your feelings wholesomely. And by that, we can come out of confirmation bias and start seeing the things the way things really are. Okay. Awesome. Excellent. Okay, Alex. Well, this has been a really enjoyable chat. I've enjoyed it. I've, yes. I'm happy to watch you. I've enjoyed it too. I've enjoyed it too. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent. Well, we'll finish now and we'll see you soon. Okay. All right. See you soon. <laughs> Bye. Okay, bye-bye.